Thank you, Felicia. Thank you for the preparations she's put into this. Father, I pray you will prepare our hearts to hear through her what you're saying to us. Thank you, Father, for um, the sense of who you are coming across in all that she does. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, so as Lyndon said, uh, we are carrying on our New Testament Heroes series. And um, my New Testament hero is a lady called Mary of Bethany. Um, I don't think of Bethany was her last name. That was where she was from. Um, but I, so I talked about this lady a bit a few weeks ago, looking specifically at the time that she anointed um, Jesus before his burial. Um, but there's actually three times in scripture that she appears. And so we're going to look at kind of all three and learn some lessons from her life. And um, first, I'm going to pray again. Firstly, because it's important. And secondly, because I've probably got about enough notes to do about three series. So it's in all of our best interest that I only say what Jesus wants me to say. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Lord, when 3.1 billion people have never even heard your name, we get to come freely and worship before you with eyes open and hearts responding to you. So, Lord, as we look at your word together, I ask that your word would do its work in us. Lord, I thank you that you've given us people throughout history that we can look to, men and women just like us, that give us inspiration and faith to go again, to keep saying yes, to give you everything that we have. And so, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak to us and minister to us as we draw near to you. Draw near to us, God. Lord, let me say what's on your heart only and just come and be the center and the focus. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, why on earth would Mary of Bethany be my hero? Um, she doesn't appear in the book of Acts. Uh, we only see her mentioned three times. She's not recorded healing the sick, raising the dead, or dying for the sake of the gospel. She's got no awesome public ministry. Um, she's not well known. However, um, there's a couple of reasons why she is my hero. And the first one is just uh, some things that Jesus says about her that are pretty awesome. And if Jesus says them about her, um, then that's got to be a good sign. And the first one we see in Luke 10, um, where Jesus is speaking about Mary, and he says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So if Jesus says that this lady has chosen something good, I want to learn from that, because whatever Jesus calls good has got to be good. And the second thing he says about her is in Mark 14, verse 9, well, this one's kind of mind-blowing. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So again, she didn't do anything crazy as in raise the dead, heal the sick, have a public ministry that reached millions. She, well, we'll look at what she did. And yet Jesus says that wherever the gospel is preached, the memory of this lady will go on. And how cool that Jesus would forever tie his own story to this lady's. So, if these words weren't enough, um, to me, she's also one of the clearest pictures of a life of full, heart, full wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Um, and we see her in, as I said, three scenarios through scripture. So, the first one 
we see her sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. The second one is at the death and resurrection of her brother Lazarus. And the third one, which we have already looked at in some detail before, is the anointing of Jesus before his death. So I'm going to try and look at all three scenarios today. But if we don't get to the last one, it's okay, because there's a whole other message on that. Um, And uh, there's three lessons. I mean, there's lots of lessons, but there's three lessons I've pulled out of these three scenarios. The first one is that Mary cared more about Jesus than other people's opinions. The second one is that she chose to remain unoffended and vulnerable in a time of crisis. And the third one is that she knew Jesus was worth everything. So let's look at the first one. She cared more about Jesus than any other opinions. And this is true in all of the scenarios that we see, Mary, but this first one is a particularly clear picture of it. We're going to look at Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So, just to set the scene about what's going on here. So, Jesus' fame at this point is, is spreading. We're told in scriptures that he has multitudes following him, people coming from different regions to see what he's got to say. They've heard about signs and wonders that he's been doing. So, he's, he's getting quite a, a following. Um, in our day, he'd probably have a very big Instagram account or something. Um, they came from the entire region to hear him. He's already fed the 5,000 by this point, so he's got like mega church status. So he's pretty much a celebrity in the area. And a celebrity pitches up at Martha's house. Okay, so Martha gets a pretty bad name for herself. And I know we're not looking at Martha, we're looking at Mary, but to look at Mary, we have to look at Martha at this point, okay. And she gets a bit of a bad name for herself often in Christian circles. But Martha's response is exactly the same as all of ours would be if a celebrity turned up at our house. (laughs) She wanted to give him the best food. She wanted to put on the best show. She wanted the house to be clean, the house to be tidy. Um, I would say, in my head, as I picture the scene, that she entered whirlwind mode. Now, this is a particular phrase that I have, um, well, I didn't invent the word whirlwind, but whirlwind mode is a particular thing um, in my family Um, known for one thing and one thing only, is the mode that parents enter before guests arrive at the house. (laughs) Now, I don't know if this is a common thing. In my house, it was always my mum that entered whirlwind mode, Um, but I'm sure there are also dads that enter whirlwind mode too. Um, And what whirlwind mode means is that... (laughs) Those shoes that you left in the hallway that were a little bit annoying once, in whirlwind mode, they are your death penalty. It's like, like, it's like a military operation. So my dad's name is Dave, my sister's name is Helena, and I'm Alicia. And so whirlwind mode uh, would kind of look something like, Dave, the dining room is not your dumping ground. Sort it right now. Helena, dishwasher, go. Alicia, the loft, sort it. It's like the loft. (laughs) 
Mum, the, the guests aren't bringing a ladder to open like the hatch to check out your suitcase storage. The loft will be clean, this house will be sparkling. It's, it's whirlwind mode. You don't argue with mum in whirlwind mode. The only thing that can make whirlwind mode even worse is when the whirlwind mode is in the presence of people who are not themselves also in whirlwind mode, who might say things like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that in a minute. <laughs> or I'm just right in the middle of something. Or even worse, say nothing and just carry on doing what they were doing or not doing <laughs> and ignore the presence of the whirlwind. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Um, now, the slight exaggeration, apart from like the loft was the only exaggeration, actually. Everything else is pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> but I remember the, the worst thing was when you weren't aware of of whirlwind mode. So like you're sat on a Sunday afternoon watching TV in the living room. Little did you know that whirlwind mode was happening in the kitchen and the dining room and the bedrooms. I guess weren't going to the bedrooms, but it happened there too. And suddenly the door opens to the living room and there's this casual question of like, hey, what you doing? And you don't know what you are walking into. <laughs> and so you casually with a really friendly tone say, oh, nothing much, just chilling. You just walked into death, basically. <laughs> Nothing, this is the problem. Da, 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 da. Anyway, so in my head, Martha's in whirlwind mode. Like, rightly so. A, a big deal has just showed up at her house. And what makes whirlwind mode worse, that's really hard to say, <laughs> is Mary, her sister, very not in whirlwind mode. Like, opposite. She is sat with Jesus, listening to his word. She's just sat at his feet with the disciples. And you can kind of tell that Martha's a bit mad because she doesn't go to Mary and pull her aside and say, hey, just wondered if you could get started on the unleavened bread. She says, <laughs> she goes straight to Jesus and says, will you tell my sister to help me? And you know, she wants to be vindicated. And the point here is that we all probably, as much as we want to be Mary of Bethany in this scenario, are probably way more Marthas. Because how many times have we let our identity being so defined by what we do that we are desperate for someone to vindicate, to affirm what we're doing? Because actually, if they affirm what we're doing, it means they're affirming us. Like in that moment, Martha did not want Jesus to say, it's okay, your bread is great. <laughs> like that wasn't what she cared about. She was longing for him because she loved him to say, you're great. <laughs> like it's okay, you're great. Uh, sadly, her actions weren't vindicated. Jesus clearly loves Martha and he was kind in his response. Um, but the point is that Martha had kind of misread the situation. And Martha thought that Jesus was coming for food, and he probably loved the fact there was food. But Mary thought Jesus was coming for friends. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of how many times do we think Jesus is only interested in our serving and what we can do for him and how many people we can preach the gospel to. And yes, that's important. Works are important. But actually, 
He wants friends. <laughs> he doesn't want, he's not a slave driver, a taskmaster. He wants people who love him and will take the time to not be in the whirlwind of craziness of life, um, but will sit and listen to him. Now, it's important to say that what Martha was doing was really good. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with what she was doing. She wasn't sinning. She was doing a good thing. And there are so many good things that we get caught up in that are really beneficial to people and that really move the heart of God. But again, it's about our focus. Mary didn't let the distractions or the opinions of others, first of all, her sister, who was telling her she shouldn't be doing that. And then you've got the disciples. Like I know it's not recorded, but in, in that time, Mary should not have been in the room with the guys listening to the teacher. Like It was inappropriate. It was not her place, and she didn't care. She said, no, I, nothing can override my desire to hear what he's got to say. So she doesn't let the fear of man, anyone's opinions, or the distractions of everything that could be done around her get in the way. She desires only time with Jesus. And it's this that's vindicated. Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And just that, that word portion, we often read it as in Mary's chosen the better of two options. And that's probably part of it, but I believe that it's far more. Um, portion often refers to an inheritance. So when God was portioning out plots of land to the tribes of Israel, the Levites didn't get a portion of land because as priests, God himself was their portion. And I think that Jesus was hinting at something bigger here, that he was identifying Mary in almost a priestly role, like Mary has chosen to be with me and pour herself out, give of her time, her attention, and I will be her portion, and that can never be taken away. So that's the first point. Do we have, like Mary, I'm challenged by this, because as much as I want to be Mary, I'm Martha. I'm a fixer. <laughs> I like to be busy, and if I see something that needs doing, I'm going to do it. But actually, that's all well and good, but it has to come secondary to being with Jesus and letting him be enough. Without my identity being in what I'm going to do, just being with Jesus, is that enough? Because it was for her. So, point one. Point two, she remained unoffended and vulnerable in the time of crisis. So for this, we're going to look at John 11. Um, and we're going to look at lots of the passage. So I'm going to kind of dive in and out of it. Hence, I haven't put anything other than two words up on the screen in a minute. Um, but I've done this really weird thing where, because there was so much scripture I wanted to look at, I haven't put it in my notes. I'm, it was an error. Anyway, um, so in this situation, um, Lazarus, who is the brother of Mary and Martha, who I've just been talking about, is really, really sick. And, like, very sick. And so Mary and Martha do what we all do in moments of crisis as people who love Jesus they send for him to help, right? That is a good response in crisis. Jesus, will you help me? I have faith that you can help me get out of this. So they send, call for Jesus. He's going to make this all better. And it says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That was verse 4. That sounds positive, right? The sickness isn't unto death. 
Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal this. You're on to a winner. And then it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't the sister. So when he heard that he was sick, he went immediately to their aid and everything was better. That's what I wish it said. <laughs> it doesn't. It says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. What? <laughs> what in the world? You've just heard that your friend is sick. The person that you love, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they are in real trouble. And you're saying, because I love them, I'm going to do nothing. That side does not sit comfortable with me. Everything in me is like that is unjust. Jesus, what on earth are you doing? I don't like to argue with God, but this makes me a little mad. Then after, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So he's waited two days. And I like, this is like a side note, but I really like the interaction between Jesus and his disciples in the next few verses because they're like, why are you going to Judea? People are trying to kill you. And Jesus goes, Lazarus is sleeping. We have to go wake him up. And they take him very literally like, well, if he's sleeping, he'll just wake up. Like, what are you doing? And he says it really clearly. No, Lazarus is dead and I'm going to go and raise him. So again, he has no question in his mind what he's about to go and do. There is no, Lazarus is dead, so I'm going to go and see what I can do. He's the son of God. <laughs> and so he says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm going to go and raise him. So we see them go. He goes, he makes his way to where they are. So now we're in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. First off, four days the brother's been dead. Talk about Jesus being late. I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where you have so desperately needed Jesus to intervene on your behalf. And you have done everything right and he hasn't done anything. You're not alone because Mary and Martha were in this exact situation. Now again... The difference in response between Martha and Mary in this passage is really key. So it says, now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting at the house. Now, every single time we see Mary of Bethany in scripture, she is sitting, either in a house or at the feet of Jesus. It's like no in between. And at first you're like, oh, come on, Mary, <laughs> do something. But actually, it's really important. She trusted. In the moment of crisis, again, I'm Martha. I jump into fix-it mode. And Mary just felt it. She didn't go straight to fix it. She chose to sit, to feel it, to wait. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of, the God, the son of God who has come into the world. So in that moment, Lazarus is dead. Martha has run out to Jesus and she has all of the right theology. 
She knows it all. She knows her scripture. She knows what's going to happen. And so Jesus is saying, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha's like, yes, I know. According to your word in this passage, he's going to rise again at the resurrection. Like, I know. And again, kind of misses the moment, even though she knew everything. And so that, that interaction ends. And she said these things. And then she went her way. And Martha called Mary. And she said, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Now here we see Mary stand up. <laughs> as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her saw Mary rise and said she must be going to the grave. I'm paraphrasing. So then Mary came where Jesus was, is verse 32, and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, she says exactly the same phrase that Martha says. But the difference is she said it in worship. As soon as she saw Jesus, she's in crisis. She's just lost her brother, and she'd asked Jesus to help her, and he had done nothing. He had not responded to her call, and she falls down once again at the feet of Jesus, and says, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then this verse is two words, and, but the two words are profound. It says, Jesus wept. Now, Martha had had a very similar interaction with Jesus. And I am not saying that Jesus did not love Martha. That is not what I'm saying at all. But Jesus didn't weep when he found out that Lazarus was sick. He knew the end of the story. He didn't weep when Martha, Martha came and rightly quoted theology at him. But he sees Mary, the one who has just sat at his feet and listened to his word, the one who had given him her attention and her devotion, and he chooses to enter into her pain. I know I'm meant to be talking about Mary, but we have to look at Jesus in this moment. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He said it before he even made a move. He said, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples got confused. Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why on earth is he crying? He knows the end of the story. But we have a God who doesn't skip to the end of the story. He actually enters into the pain of the moment. He actually lets himself feel because his friend was hurting. Mary had come weeping. Mary and Jesus had history. And so Jesus looks at Mary and saw that she'd not got offended, even when she could have done. <laughs> she'd chosen vulnerability. She'd chosen to love him. She'd fallen down at his feet crying but worshipping him. And his heart was so moved that the Son of God, the one who created all things, the one that was about to say, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes and stands at the end of the grave, the one who was about to go to the cross and then raise himself from the dead, he cried because his friend was crying. And then we see that some people around them said what we would probably say, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then we see that he does go and raise Lazarus from the dead. 
There is so much that we could say about this passage, but my point is Mary's reaction in there is really key. It hardly gets any, any mention, but Jesus' reaction to her reaction says it all. He enters into the pain of his friend who'd chosen to remain unoffended even when she was in a crisis and chosen to trust that though we didn't skip to the end of the story, they'd get there eventually, one way or another. I'm really short on time, um, so I'm going to do a, a brief, very brief summary of the last point, and that is Jesus knew, no, <laughs> she knew that Jesus was worth everything. So the last passage we've already looked at, so I'm going to do a real quick summary. So in John um, chapter 12, we also see it in Mark 14, um, there's this weird situation that happens where there's a dinner party and Mary of Bethany, the lady that we're looking at today, walks into the middle of this dinner party and breaks a jar of very expensive perfume at the feet of Jesus and anoints him. And there is so much I want to say about this, but the... Okay, first of all, the scene. Okay, so there's this dinner party and between John and Mark, um, it's really clear that Lazarus is at the dinner party have you ever been to a dinner party with a dead person? I have not. And there's a possibility that this guy called Simon the leper is also at the dinner party because it says it happens in, a, in his house. Now, now, he might not be there. It might just be his house. He might have died. But there's a reason that Simon the leper is included in the text. So if he was there, chances are he's a leper who got healed by Jesus and for the first time in his life actually has community and is at a dinner party. So can you imagine the conversation you're there with a dead guy. <laughs> I would have a lot of questions. Like, what, what was that like? <laughs> did you hear Jesus when he said your name? How did that work? Because you were dead. But you, and then you weren't. And then you've got a leper, potentially, who I would want to know, like, what was it like when Jesus touched you? Like, lepers, no one would touch a leper. But Jesus, how did it feel like when someone actually touched you with kindness? What was it like to actually have a family again after you've been isolated? Anyway, there were lots of questions that I would have. Plus, you've got Jesus there. I mean, that would be a cool enough dinner party anyway. And so it's in the middle of this jolly old good time where there's probably cool sherries, cool sherries, cool stories shared. <laughs> Thank you. Sherries, fairies. Um, that Mary walks in, and I just can imagine like people being like, what in the world? First of all, she's a woman, shouldn't be there. Second of all, you're interrupting the flow, there's a dead guy. <laughs> and she's not only there, but she's carrying something. And what she's carrying is worth, it says, 300 denarii, which equals a year's wages. So, in our, like, people debate in our day whether it would be like 20,000 or 40,000 pounds. I'm going to go for 30 because I like the middle. 30,000 pounds worth, and she willingly breaks this over Jesus. Again, so much that I could say. A few summary points. Mary had no question in her mind how much that was worth. It was probably inheritance. It represented her past, her present. It was the thing that she valued most. It was probably passed down to her because she probably lost her parents when you look at scripture, and her future. Like, if she never got married in that day, that had to be enough for her. That, all that she, was all that she had and all that she would have unless something dramatic changed. And she knew there was no doubt in her mind about the worth of this. And she willingly chose to waste it on Jesus. Why? 
Well, first of all, he just raised a brother from the dead. But I think there was more than that. I think the three scenarios are very linked. I think that Mary, in her position of sitting and trusting and listening, had actually heard something that all of the other disciples had missed. Because Jesus didn't keep it a secret that he was going to die and go to the cross. The last few days of his ministry, he talked about it a lot. And the disciples were oblivious. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. But I think Mary had heard And Jesus says, she's anointed me for my burial. I think there was something about Mary's posture of getting out of the whirlwind to listen that meant she could receive the secrets of his heart and respond appropriately. Because she knew that Jesus was about to pour out everything for love. Like he was about to be beaten to the point where he was beyond human resemblance. Like tortured, we can't even picture it. All because he loved greatly. And she decided that it would not be right for him to go to the grave without receiving all of her love. Because he was about to give that for her. So she had to respond appropriately. And once again, Jesus vindicates her. Immediately, whenever there is extravagant devotion involved, there's accusation. And it starts with the disciples. Why on earth are you wasting that? Do you know how many people that could feed that money? And these disciples that are accusing her are the ones that in 50 days the Spirit's about to be poured out on and they're about to start the church. Like imagine those guys being your accusers. And yet Jesus' voice comes and says, you leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing for me. She's anointed me for my burial. And that's where in Mark we hear that wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So that act of devotion had lasting impact, both in the fact that it's going to be told, like, we're fulfilling that prophecy right now. How many preachers did they do on Mary of Bethany? And Jesus said it would happen. (laughs) And second of all, nard is very smelly (laughs) in the best possible way. So it wouldn't have been a little, like, dib-dab like we do when we anoint someone, like a little holy cross on the head. Like, this anointing was all over. The house would have stunk, like, nice, but still it would have stunk. And when you look at the timing of this, Jesus was a couple of days on the cross. And when he was hanging on the cross, I I shared this before, I'm doing a very quick summary. You can guarantee that there would be two people smelling the same on that hillside, and that would be Mary of Bethany of Jesus. So in the middle of the stench of death, literally, two people smelt of worship, Mary and Jesus. Can you imagine giving something to Jesus that is so precious that in his moment of pain, like God has a moment of pain, he's reminded of your wholehearted love. And that's why she is my New Testament hero. Because time and time again, she goes, he's just worth it. It's costly. It hurts. My brother died and you did nothing. But I know you had a purpose. It hurts, but I'll trust. I'll give you all. And so I just want to pray. We are out of time. I know you guys have to uh, collect kids. But there were three things we looked at. The first one was that Mary chose to not listen to the opinion of others and to sit. The second one was that in the moment of crisis, she chose to be vulnerable and unoffended. And the third one that was that she just knew that Jesus was everything and embraced the cost. And I don't know which if any of those seasons you're in right now, whether you 
are in the whirlwind and have lost just hearing his voice and just want to talk to God about that. Whether you are in a crisis mode and Jesus hasn't showed up like he said he would. And you just need to find him there with you in the pain and trust him. Or the third one is that, which probably applies to all of us, that you just want to love him more. And he might be asking you to do something that is costly. I don't know. But I'm going to pray. And you can just talk to God however you feel. Jesus, you are so worthy of all of our time, of our attention, of our devotion, of our love, of our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to not get caught in the whirlwind of life, even the whirlwind of ministry. Lord, that conversation with you, hearing you, would be first and foremost to us. I ask for strength and grace to lay aside even things that are good things, to choose that which is most important, and to listen to you. Lord, I pray for every heart in the room that is in the moment of crisis and pain, where they've cried out to you and you've not showed up. Lord, your word shows us that you feel every part of that. So I pray for grace to be with you in it, to not run away, but to find the God who weeps right there beside us. And Lord, I pray as a church for every person here that you would show us what it is to love you with everything. And when that's costly and scary, Lord, just let us fix our eyes on you and see that you're worth it. You who gave all for us, we want to give all for you. Would you take us deeper and enable us to set our gaze on you? In Jesus' name, amen.